No, it's definitely not a hindrance. You've reached the devotion circuit, at least you did in that moment. This is a very deep um, level of authentic relationship to the truth of your being and the beginning of the opening of the heart. And uh, it tends to open in the form of bhakti, of devotion and surrender, and the experience of grace. So it was a moment of grace. And uh, whether it was imaginary or it was real, I, I tend to think it was real. And, you know, this is the eighth yoga. We, we tend to talk about seven yogas here, but bhakti or parabhakti opens up at a higher point where it is no longer something that could be confused with blind faith, rituals, and worship of a, a projective image. And uh, there is another in the sense that if there is still an ego, then the self is still other. But in that very act of surrender and of salvation, the gap between consciousness and the self uh, is closed, at least for a moment, and the energy can pour through and allow the, um, the wellsprings of the heart to open to the beauty of divine love. So it seems like it was a very wonderful moment of that heart opening. So it's definitely a part of the process. But it has to happen almost uh, as a byproduct of one sadhana. You can't sort of intend to reach that kind of a moment, right? It comes to one as the response to one's sincere efforts and prayers and meditation. By the way, that's the eighth yoga, the Parabhakti. There's also a ninth and tenth yoga here. But um, the Parabhakti is only really taught at the sadhak level, and the last two can only be taught at the Swami level. We don't have Swamis yet, but uh, I'm waiting to be able to teach that. But they can only be taught um, because of their subtlety to people who have reached a very high assemblage point beyond the Viveka point. But these have to do with... Uh, Shaktipat, the transmission of Shakti, not prana. It's not about Reiki. It's not about that kind of an energy, but the direct energy of Shiva, the supreme energy of liberation, which can be transmitted uh, if one is in an accurate enough uh, connection. And then the the final yoga, which is really the most difficult of all, and. There's very little writing on it because traditionally it was passed on orally from guru to <coughs> disciple. Those disciples only who were going to be made lineage holders is what they call adhikaravada. And um, this has to do with understanding the dynamics of a sangha and the the way in which accurate decisions get made, on what basis. Even decisions regarding who should be in the Sangha and who should not be in the Sangha. And how the work of the ordainer functions and how it, it one, as one takes on the responsibility of a Sangha that, that uh, responsibility gets channeled onto one as well. 
and can only operate in great humility and requires a, a capacity to diagnose the readiness of someone to take on higher responsibilities and being given more information, let's say, that goes beyond what their ego has imagined uh, is reality. And it requires a very subtle level of diagnosis, if you will, of what is authentic. One of the reasons I spent so many years studying Lacan is that he was the only school of psychoanalysis that authentically approached the question of what is it that really entitles someone to be a psychoanalyst? Not just did you take so many semesters and these kinds of courses mandated by the state and this much time in your training analysis. No, but what is it authentically that authorizes one to the legitimacy of being able to work with someone else? Right? And, and is that ultimately authorized by the teacher or does it have to be self-authorized? Because if you need still the authorization of someone else, doesn't that mean you're not really ready? So it was this catch-22 that he was working with. And the fact that if this was going to be an authentic uh, position that wasn't simply a prop of the social control matrix, then it had to be a, an authorization based on completely non-objective uh, coordinates and criteria and that uh, required then psychoanalysis being recognized as a spiritual path. And this was rather earth-shaking and was one of the reasons why he was excommunicated from the psychoanalytic association. And, of course, there were tremendous um, pressures to go back to a much more objectivized process so that this could be... Uh, passed on to MDs and PhDs who were not about to go through the reality of uh, an inner search that would bring them to the authentic self that could then uh, legitimately authorize their own authority to be a spiritual guide. So the whole thing has played out in a very interesting uh, kind of a compromise formation there. But there's a great deal to learn about how you apply that then to a Sangha so that you can truly form legitimate spiritual leaders and guides to protect the integrity of a spiritual path. So that whole study is something that can only be undertaken when one has reached a subtle enough level of consciousness that one can perceive uh, the authenticity or lack of authenticity in the eye of the statement and, and in the... Uh, unconscious agendas and it's a uh, it's a field of study that I hope we will be able to have many people enter into soon Rod is already entering into it because she has to in her position and now tomorrow also but it, it has to be undertaken in a very uh, a very profound way in order to be able to have a, a global understanding of the, the psychodynamics of a community, which is what is involved.